0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good
1: morning. So, um, Bill shared we are in John. Sorry for those of you who thought I was going to do Luke. Might have been a little confused. Um, but I'm going to recap a little bit about what we talked about last week. Um, so this is John Part 2. Not that... not has first John or second John, just this is the book of John, right? And um, so last week, we talked about the purpose of the book. And we find the purpose is that John wrote this after the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, many years later. And he wrote it with knowing that everybody would have already read Matthew, Mark, Luke. And so he wanted to, he had a clear purpose in mind. And he states that purpose. In John 20, 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. They would have been very aware that he became human. He's driving the point home that he was divine. Amen. Amen. And so the book is divided up, and the beginning of the book is a poem, and it starts out, and actually John tells you what the whole book is going to be about. In verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1, he's just telling you, this is what the whole thing is about. And I'm just going to read the first and the last verse. Um, In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. That's what the book of John is all about. And then we talked about the outline and the the gospel of John is written in um, four parts. We have the introduction and then we have his public ministry where he went out and he Talk to the Jewish people. Well, wait a second. I didn't do that. Sorry. Stop with the clicker. Um, So his public ministry was to the Jewish people. And they rejected him. That was um, what the first um, from 119 to 1250 is. It's all about how Jesus went to the Jewish people to say, I'm he. I'm the one. And they rejected him. And then in the last half of the book, which only covers one week of his ministry, we get his private ministry, and then we get the conclusion of the book. And the private ministry is to those who are closest to him, those who believe and become children of God. And in the conclusion, we see that those believers become witnesses to the whole world. Amen? And then we talked a little bit about what... I am means, and in, um, now for some of you and and for some of you might already know this, but the old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew and most of the new Testament was in Greek and in the old Testament in Hebrew, when God says to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I am who I am. That I am is translated Y H W H. We don't know how it's pronounced. There were no vowels. And later in the history of the Jewish people, they stopped saying God's name because they felt it was so reverent that they shouldn't even speak it. So we have no idea what, how, what, how to say it. We often, you will hear people say Yahweh or Jehovah. That's fine, but that's what that means is I am, okay? And I am was... It means self-sufficient identity. It's mortals have a beginning and an end. God has no beginning or end. He is. He is the great I am. And that's important because then we go to um, the book of John and we find out that John uh, recorded Jesus um, speaking, uh, saying metaphors. So a metaphor is something to help you understand, like life is a highway. Life is not a highway. I don't know if anybody of you realize that or not, but when you're doing life, it doesn't feel like a highway, but it, it helps you to understand. Or her eyes were like diamonds, right? Now, my eyes are not diamonds, but my husband loves them. So when he says those things to me, I know that he loves my eyes, right? So Jesus uses metaphors and he uses seven of them and seven is important. The, the use of seven anytime means completion, wholeness and it is um, it shows the the like something starts, you know, in seven days God created the earth, right? This is it's very important that he used seven. And so last week we talked about the seven I uh, we started and I'm going to finish talking about the seven I ams that Jesus Said, In the first one, we learned that often the times that he said, I am, were around times where he did a miraculous sign. Now, John never calls them miracles for a reason. He calls them signs because they're a signpost to point you to something. The sign of him feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 men and women and children, besides with five loaves and two fish was to show you when he said, I am the bread of life. That sign, that miracle that he did was to point you to it. It wasn't in and of itself what they were supposed to be looking for. It was to point you to Jesus. And then um, one of the other interesting things is John also emphasizes points that were made in the Torah now, the Torah was, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people treasured the words of, you know, what we would call the Bible. They called it the Torah. And in Judaism, one of the things they said is, you should feed a hungry enemy the bread of the Torah. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's the fulfillment of the Torah. And and in the next um. I am statement that he made was I am the light of the world in Judaism. It spoke that the light of the law, which was given to lighten every man. And Jesus says, I'm the light. I am the light. And then right after that, he heals a blind man. Which is great. You guys should go back and watch last week. Cause that is an amazing story. I love that story. Um, and then He takes, and and then on bookends of that, Jesus then talks about how he is the door and he is the shepherd. The only way to the father is through the door that is Jesus. And he is a good shepherd. He will lead you through that door. He will lead you to the father. And then we pick up Um, And even though this is during his public ministry time, it was a private ministry act um, because this had to do with Lazarus. And so in the book of John in chapter 11, one through 44, not going to read it all, but if you want to turn there, you can. So we see another sign of Jesus. So, Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus and says, your dear friend is very sick. And when Jesus heard this, he says, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Sorry. He's telling you, this is a sign. (laughs) He's telling you, this sign that I'm about to do is going to show you what the truth is. And, um, and then he meets Martha. He waits a couple of days. So by this point, Lazarus has died. He's in the tomb. Jesus shows up on the scene. People are wailing. They're, they're, they're weeping. They're crying. It is, it is a very um, sad occasion. And Jesus, Martha sees Jesus, and she runs up to him and says, Lord, If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She has a mustard seed. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yeah, he will rise again as everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she says, Yes, Lord. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world from God. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, in the Jewish culture, there were two beliefs about the resurrection. One was um, the Greeks during that time. The Greeks believed the body hindered your true life form, okay? The Jews believed that your body would be raised but without transformation, But the resurrection is a return to life as it should be. Yeah. As it was originally intended. Hmm. Originally intended. What did God originally intend for us? The Garden of Eden. A life without shame, a life without sin, no corruption. No sickness, no death, no envy or pride. None of that would be there. That's resurrection. Uh, Sign me up for that. (laughs) That my body would be transformed to be what it was originally tended to be. Oh, yeah, I'm a little behind, sorry. Um, So the resurrection... He's, Jesus is making an enormous claim. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you want full life? It is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Life to the fullest. Do you believe this? Do you believe that it's for you? His next I am statement comes a little bit later. Now, he has um, been anointed with oil. He's gone into the city riding on a donkey's colt. And they have, it's a Palm Sunday, and they are laying palm branches and cloaks down, and they're declaring him the Messiah who's come to rescue them. And then he announces to them, I'm going to die. Wow, that's exciting, you know? And then. He begins his private ministry. He takes his, his disciples into a private space. And with his 12, he goes and he washes their feet. He, and he predicts his betrayal and Peter's betrayal. He tells them he's leaving. Can you imagine that? Okay, so we just saw him do miracles. We saw him ride in triumphantly. You've been with him. You've seen all this stuff. Now you're here. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave. What? Where are you going? Why are you leaving? Right? And he says, You need to love one another. And then he launches into a comforting speech because they're pretty upset. And he begins the speech with, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So this section, this comforting section is just God or is just Jesus going, "Okay guys, it's okay." You know? You're going to be comforted. I'm going to take care of you. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. You've seen the Father because you've seen me. It couldn't be any more clear. Jesus is and the Father are one, and he's declaring it to his disciples. Now, Jesus is not just one way among many to get to God, amen? He is the only way to get to God. He's not a version of the truth. He is the truth. An abundant life can only be found in him because he is life. When when he said these words to his disciples, it would have comforted them. They would have had peace. So I want to ask you. Are you experiencing comfort and peace in your walk with Jesus? That's what he came for. And he can give it to you if you will let him. The next I am statement was a little while later. And um, to understand the statement, we have to think about the Jewish people for a second. The central part of a Jewish lifestyle, life, was vineyards. They all, I mean, that was part of their, that's like, like corn in Mexico is the crop. I mean, if you go to Mexico, I don't know if you've been there or not, but they eat a lot of corn tortillas, okay? They're good because they have a lot of corn, right? In the Jewish culture, they had uh, vineyards. Vineyards were a central part, not just for wine. But it was part of their diet. The Palestinian diet was full of grapes and raisins. That was part of their life. It was a source of life for them. In the Old Testament, Israel is described as a glorious vine. In Psalm 80, uh, verse 8, it says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations, and you planted it. He's talking about when the Jewish people went from exile into their promised land. He took the vine out of Egypt and he planted it. And then in Isaiah five, seven, um, the vineyard of the Lord almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Isaiah is telling us Israel did not fulfill their calling to be the true vine, but Jesus does. Jesus fulfills the call that was on Israel because they couldn't do it. We read in um, verses 15, I'm sorry, in chapter 15, verses one and five, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You, already, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Okay. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away. We have to have Jesus at the center of our lives. And we have to let him cut off things that don't bear fruit. We have to let him take the things in our lives that have become idols or sins or entrapments, and we have to let him remove them so that we can bear the fruit that he wants us to bear, which is love and peace and joy, and that we can give comfort to others, that we can minister to other people. He wants to do this for you and for me. And what happens when he gets rid of those things in your life? Do you know what happens? You get free. (laughs) Amen. You get freedom. Have you talked to somebody who is in the world and they don't know Jesus and they're entrapped by sin and and so many... entanglements in their life and they just can't see straight. They don't know how to get out of the situation they're in. Jesus wants to bring freedom to them. He came to set the captives free. And that's what we are called to do. is to be co-laborers with Christ to set people free. But is Jesus the center of your life? He needs to be so that you can co-labor with him. Amen? Kind of quiet. <laughs> so, um, the thing about John is that he didn't just record Jesus saying, I am 20, or, uh, seven times. He recorded Jesus saying, I am more than 24 times, which is more than any of the other Gospels, and And almost half of the entire New Testament, Jesus saying, I am was a big deal. So I want to look at just a couple more. One is when Jesus says, I am the Messiah, we're going to backtrack all the way back to chapter four and Jesus goes with his disciples and they're going from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now the shortest route straight to Galilee is through Samaria. None of the Jews ever went that way. Do we know this? We didn't like the Samaritans. Well, the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans, right? They were um, equally hating on each other, all right? So the shortest route is tr- through there. And the reason that they didn't li- the Jews didn't like the Samaritan people was originally when um, the Babylonians came and took the tribe of Judah into captivity, they left the lowest status people, there, and those people ended intermarrying with with non-Jewish people, and they became the Samaritans. Now, they still believed in Yahweh, and they kept, you know, like some of the Torah, but they also added in a little bit of superstition from the people they intermarried with, right? So this is where the animosity comes. And if anybody has seen The Chosen, great scene, okay, there's a scene in there about Jesus going through Samaria and the the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, we can't go through here. (laughs) This is not good. This is not good. And he's like, I needed to go this way. And so he sends his disciples off to find food. He sits down by a well, Jacob's well. And this woman, the Samaritan woman comes up to him or comes up to the well in the middle of the day. That's significant because women go to the well in the morning when it's cool and not too hot. She shows up in the middle of the day because she doesn't have such a great re- reputation, okay? She's had lots of husbands, and she currently is living with somebody who's not her husband, and this is a, it's a problem. So he, she goes in the heat of the day, and G- she, she shows up at the well. Now, Jesus is a Jew, and he's a man. They don't talk to women, and they don't talk to Samaritans. And he says, would you give me a drink of water? Now, she's pretty startled. Like, what's this Jewish man doing talking to me? And he says, you know, he goes, and he asks her for a drink of water, and then she has a conversation with him, and he says, I could give you living water. Well, she's like, well, if I could never get a, you know, if I never have to draw from the well again, bring it. You know, I want, I want some water. And Jesus says, well, go get your husband. And this, when she, when she says, "Uh," he says, actually, you've had several husbands, and you're not married to the guy you're living with, she realizes he's a prophet. And she's like, whoa, I got some questions for a prophet. Like, how come the Jews say you have to worship here? And, you know, Samaritans say you have to worship there. What's the deal? And Jesus says, or the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. He reveals to this woman who probably thinks she is worth nothing compared to so many others. And yet Jesus goes, hey, let me tell you something. I'm him. I'm the one who's come to rescue and save. And she, what does she do? She leaves her bucket, runs to the town and says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. She has an encounter with Jesus and becomes an evangelist. Amen? That we would all do the same. The next I am statement we find when Jesus is washing washing the disciples' feet. So we have one in his public ministry, but was with a Samaritan woman, and now he's washing the disciples' feet. He's gathered them together, puts a basin and a towel, and begins to wash their feet. And Peter objects, no, you will never wash my feet, Jesus says unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And he's like, okay, wash all of me, (laughs) right? And Jesus, Peter's like, all in, whatever I got to do. But Jesus is trying to show them an example of servant leadership. I didn't come here like the Pharisees to lord over you rules and regulations, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. I came here to serve and love you. And that's what I ask you to do. Serve And love one another. And then he tells them, and one of you is going to betray me. Why does he say this? He says, I tell you beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. He's given him a clue. Like, these aren't breadcrumbs that a bird is going to snatch away. These are boulders that are painted in neon. You know, I'm putting these out for you so you can see. All of these signs will show you what the truth is. And then he also does something else. Not only did he say, I am seven metaphors, I am the Messiah twice. John records twice when Jesus says, I am. He's declaring his Absolute unity with God the Father. That word um, in Greek, now remember we're in the New Testament, so when Jesus said it, it would have been egoimi. And he uses this twice. <clears throat> and it refers back to the what we talked about earlier in Exodus, where God said his name, or who who do you say, or who? should I tell them you are? Moses said to him and Moses and God says, I am who I am. Right. And so we find that he says this to the Pharisees in, um, he's having a conversation, another conversation with the Pharisees cause they just can't figure out what's going on. And in, um, he says, your father, Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw and was glad The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Wow. And you know what their reaction was? They picked up rocks to stone him. How dare he say that he was God? And he disappeared, right? He showed who he was. Clearly. And then in the garden of Gethsemane, (laughs) this is so crazy. In the garden, he goes to the garden and he prays. He's with his closest disciples. And Judas has betrayed him. And the guards show up. Now there's 500 guards. Okay? 500 to arrest one man with his, you know, 11 friends. Um, And Jesus stepped forward to meet them and said, who are you looking for? Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. Now I need to stop you. You see that next sentence. It says, I am he in the Greek that he is not there. That is only added in a translation. It was not what Jesus said. Jesus said, ego, emi. And as he said, I am, they all drew back and fell to the ground. 500 people fell down. He's, exer- he's showing a little bit of his power. He went willingly as a sheep to the slaughter. He could have stopped it. And once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? You're all on the ground. What are you looking for? And they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. And he says, I told you that I am. There's a a quote that I love um, by a, a theologian named Trapp. And he said, here, our Savior let out a little beam of his majesty, of his deity, and 500 men fell before him. He was in complete control. Of that situation. Amen. And then we know. Well hopefully you know. If you don't know. What happens next is. He allows himself to be crucified. For you and for me. He dies a brutal death. He gets buried. And then he raises from the dead. And he is met by women first. And then men. Jesus always Mixing things up, right? And yet one of the disciples wasn't with him. It was Thomas. Thomas gets such a bad rap. Poor Thomas, you know. What what do we all call him, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. Well, here's something for you. In the whole book of John, Thomas is the only one that says, my Lord and my God. When Jesus shows up and says to him, okay, Thomas, here I am. Put your hands, put your hand in my side. Don't doubt anymore. Don't doubt anymore. Believe. And Thomas exclaims, my Lord, my God. Wow. Changes how I see Thomas, right? Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Did you know that you are blessed? because you believe without seeing with your natural eye. So I, um, I think I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can use this.
0: Thanks, Kathy. Um, wow, why don't you stand up with me? We're going to respond to what Kathy just shared with us about Jesus. And the thing that I'm struck by is, um, so when he says who he is, he reveals himself. in um, some in one situation, people. Wanted to kill him for it. They pick up stones to stone him. They're mad. <laughs> in another situation, people are, are are ignorant of who he is or what it means, maybe, but they they fall to the ground, and and Thomas says, "My Lord and my God." And so, um, you know, the same thing is happening today. Even in this room, there's probably some of us who are who get mad at the idea of what it means that Jesus is lord he offends our sense of religion or threatens our the sovereignty we think we have over our own life secretly or overtly people get mad about that <laughs> sometimes we even christians walk ignorant of who he really is and what it means you know and And we don't want to get to a point where he reveals it and we're thrown to the ground. It's much better to submit and kneel by our own will. Um, But then there's the Thomases. And this morning you get a chance to be a Thomas. Kathy did a great job of opening up God's word and showing who Jesus is. You have an opportunity to say, my Lord and my God. So close your physical eyes and open up your spiritual eyes to see him this morning. whether it's for the very first time, or maybe you, you're you living a life that says, my Lord and my God, say it right now. Say, Jesus, go ahead and say this after me. Jesus, I see you for who you are. And I choose to say, my Lord and my God. You're my Lord. Go ahead and say, you're my Lord. You're my God. I bow before you. There's a bunch of college kids in Kentucky who are doing that on Wednesday after a chapel service this week (laughs) at a, a Baptist college in Kentucky. And um, someone preached about confessing sins and repenting, you know, choosing to follow Jesus instead of following their own way. And some kids said, college students um, said, I'm not leaving afterwards. And they just stayed and started praying together. As far as I know, they're still there (laughs) and haven't left since Wednesday. Um, It's at a place where something similar happened in 1970. And that's why when I opened the service this morning, I said, revival's in the air. Um, That's a great example of it, responding to the call to repent and make him Lord. Um, I really want to foster that right here in this house, you know, right now, but also continually just making him Lord and God of our individual lives and of what we do as a church. Um, You know, there's a lot of activities on the church calendar. (laughs) But really, they're all to point toward that. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus, would you be honored with that proclamation we've made this morning? You're my Lord and my God. Help us to live a life that says that, you know, minute by minute. My Lord and my God, give us spiritual eyes to see you as that and to proclaim it with our words, with our deeds. And when we stray from it, to be humble enough to say we screwed up and we're sorry and just get back on track. May that be the life of each individual in this church family. And as a family life, help us to live right there. Amen.